is Rich from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Olin Parkinson of Fadden Incarnate to the show. And I have Joe as well from Gamma Bomb. How are you, lads? How you doing? Very good. Thanks for joining us, Olin. Good Olin. to have you on board, man. I was looking forward to this chat. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a, a while since I've been involved in anything directly to do with the, the uh, Irish metal scene, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's good to be here. Thank you very much. Cool. And uh, do you stay in touch with it or what's your kind of story at the moment? Yeah, I mean, over the years in and out, uh, sort of kept tabs with, with what Abaddon was doing, obviously, and um, and just, uh, yeah, remotely, I guess. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, things changed a couple of years ago. Uh, just it was a, a fill-in sort of thing for three, three gigs. Um, and uh, it kind of snowballed from there. I think just the timing with the guys losing um, the drummer and that. So um, it was kind of a, well, what do you think? And obviously with the logistics, it's a bit awkward, um, but then Steve's over in Leeds anyway. And um, uh, and actually it worked out okay uh, with with everything that happened with COVID um, because we were always on a sort of a longer trajectory anyway. Okay. Um, with, with trying to get over and back between work and what have you. So actually, Yes, it, it did impact the recording, but um, it, it probably would have ended up on a similar timeline anyhow. So, um, so yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. But yes, it is a bit, bit weird, a bit awkward at times. But hey, isn't everything nowadays? Yeah, fact. And like with Steve over in Leeds, is he the only member over in England? No, I am as well. I'm down in in Devon. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I've been living over the UK since two thousand and four. Ah. Um, so yeah, I played in another band over here for six or seven years, and but there was big gaps between the time I was playing, and um, I uh, finished with those guys around the same time. So I was at, at a loose end anyway when I sort of got back in. Or Steve kind of got back in touch with me, and um, as I say, they had just uh, come back from Australia, um, having okay. toured with tour, uh, yeah. yeah with and, and they had drummer issues over there, um, but Johnny. I don't know if you know that story that Johnny was coincidentally over visiting family at the same time. So, oh, where? Yeah, yeah. Johnny <laughs> just, from Malthusim, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Johnny so he, Johnny had obviously left. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they, they hadn't got it. They, they went over in, uh, in the hope of doing that tour, which they did. And they had a drummer. Um, See, this is where Steve would come in now, obviously, because yeah. he yeah, yeah. But wounded, was, it, was a wounded pig or somebody. Anyway, and he he did a couple of gigs and pulled out just okay. at the last minute. And Johnny happened to be over there. And he started <laughs> in. That's just fucking ridiculous. I know, yeah. Um, so he finished that tour with them. And then when they came back, they'd still three dates to do in Ireland, which Johnny couldn't do. So I was chatting to Steve about it. He was telling me about what happened. And I was just said, well, I'll do them. If we do it, you know, a predominantly old sort of set, then I can just, I can sort of do those okay, three yeah. shows. Which is really weird because we came back, <coughs> excuse me, um, obviously to the same rehearsal studios in Whitehall, which I hadn't been in since I came over here in 2004. Same door, same crappy wow. paint. You know, it's just like stepping back into the past. Um, <laughs> Did you keep a, keep up with what the band were doing whenever you weren't playing with them? Yeah, or? I mean, pretty much, you know, in terms of albums and obviously, you know, knew what they were doing uh, abroad in South America and just, yeah, just kind of a general interest, keeping tabs on it. Um, but uh, as I say, in terms of learning songs, short notice, I was like, well, obviously, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with all Last Supper and the Deer, but the newer stuff may, you know, carry pick a few songs off that and I'll learn what I can. And mm. so it was only for three shows, so it was fine. 
but uh, yeah, no, it was great. It was really good. And uh, playing Fibers again after so long was just really quite strange. Yeah. It was a good, yeah, it was a good show. Um, so yeah, then on the back of that, you know, it, that went pretty well. So they said, Joe, Joe, you have met, have you members over in the UK as well? Or had you? Yeah, our, uh, our guitar player lives in London and uh, the guy who's playing drums for us at the minute, he's uh, he's over in, uh, where is it, Norwich or something like that, you know, so. Yeah, so you, you, you understand the, the the logistics of it, yeah, pretty tricky. But sure, you know what, it's one of those things, isn't it, that like, it would be much worse if that person had decided to, you know, stay in Dublin and work in the spa or something for the sake of the band, you know, you're better off, everyone's better off doing doing their own life, really, and then make the band work around people's lives especially the older we get you know absolutely and i think with technology now as as we found out with this uh with this album you know you can get by so much can't you yeah totally um i mean this whole album was written virtually uh which the lads had never done before obviously they're because we were and they continue to be very much a, a rehearsal and live band mm. um so I think I sort of forced it a little bit because I'd been using quite a bit of the, the, the sort of stuff, um, garage band and, and sort of what have you with the other guys. And I was like, we need to do this. Otherwise, we're literally going to be sitting here scratching our arses for the next yeah, last opportunity. Yeah. yeah. yeah and it, it worked out really, really well. Uh, once it, it just, I think it took a, a, a bit of a leap of faith, doesn't it? And you think, well, nothing's happening. And then suddenly it just all sort of comes together. You get a few rehearsals and it all slots into place. And so, like, yeah. um, so what tracks were you receiving then, Olin? Um, or what state were they in? Was it just a guitar <laughs> track or was there vocals? Or <laughs> what state were they in is a good way of putting it. Um, <laughs> it, it. It obviously started out really rough. I mean, it was almost like tracks on, on sort of WhatsApp recorded on the phones and stuff okay. like that which I'd then sort of bounce into garage band and mess around with as much as I could to make it um, somewhat coherent. Uh, and then, I mean, they, yeah, thinking back, it was it was a lovely summer, that first summer, you know, and I, I just sort of finished up working for the company I was working for, so I had quite a bit of time on my hands and just sitting out in the sun, just kind of messing around on garage band with them. And so it was really, really rough, you know. Mm. I mean, you're talking sort of four track back in the day type rough, you know, it was <laughs> but enough to get get kind of the juices flowing so to speak and then uh as as the guys got sort of more used to it then the quality got better as it came over and then steve started working a lot more with click tracks which he'd never really done before that made my life an awful lot easier because i <laughs> record it because it was obviously everything was backwards yeah they'd send the riffs and then i'd try and put drums to it and initially you know we were we were sort of learning in equal measure and then um mm. Yeah, as, as Steve started getting back into the, uh, getting into the click tracks, that, that helped loads. And then, yeah, just got into a bit of a flow. And then it was, I don't know how many, God, how many hundreds of versions of the tracks we ended up with. Um, but uh, yeah, because every little tweak, obviously, is a new track and so on. And um, Which one of the band is the guru of technology? You all? No, well, no, that's, uh, <laughs> I think it's only because I, I was used to Garage Band from the previous, um, from the previous band and then uh obviously using using sort of the drum software um that that helped things a lot so i guess it, it's just i had the time steve is away a lot with his work bill obviously is full-time work um and with uh with family obviously and then arena was between sort of jobs and looking for more jobs. so i, I had the time so yeah. that it made it 
it, it just made sense and I was quite happy to do it because it, I had to obviously get the drums down and then edit the drums so it was going to be the most time consuming for me anyway regardless yeah. so it was, it was easier for me just for them to send the tracks over um but kind of slightly um slightly refreshing though because a lot of the times what happens is guitar players will send over things with drums you know programmed drums written mm. and then they become attached to those drum parts and then it becomes a whole thing whenever you're having to so the fact that you were just getting riffs must have been pretty cool to you know you're only coming up with your ideas instead of having to use their ideas you know yeah and and actually with the the band before i mean they you know the they were heavy, but not not nowhere near sort of approaching kind of death metal or grindcore, really. Um, so I was still in that mindset, and I was trying to trying to get back to the, the sort yeah. of the <laughs> and and just a lot more direct, you know. Um, and that took a bit of time mm. to sort of you know work that out. So there was lots of back and forth in the beginning. It was like, now nah, that's that's too death metal, or that's not grind enough, or whatever. So you know, it, did it, you find yourself drifting back to the earlier albums? Um, yeah, I, well, I think I think we pretty much uh, f- like fairly early on. We thought, you know, let's let's go for sort of the the, the chaos. <laughs> we use that term um, of of uh, Last Supper. Okay, um, that that makes it sound like we knew what we were doing then. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the sort of the energy of Nadir and, and sort of the, the atmosphere of of pessimist. I mean, Steve reckons there's you know there's bits of every every album in there um so yeah for for me it was definitely much uh, definitely much about getting that that sort of power and back but but because everything was going to be remote and because of the way we eventually decided to record i think the initial um idea was to do it all live but the songs actually turned out to be fairly complex uh for for abaddon and uh mm. there was just no way it was going to work doing it live wow so okay. i think it became pretty apparent um which was unusual for them because um, you know, I know the first two albums were, but I don't know if you know the story of Last Supper, but we had the whole album recorded. Uh, we did it, you know, part by part, and we took it back to the hotel, listened to it, and we were just like, it's not us. And oh. we went back in and said, we, we want to record the whole thing again. Who were you recording with all at that stage? Uh, this was over in Tico Tico. Um, okay. Oh, God, I can't remember the guy's name now. But he, you know, he'd done Sentenced and, and sort of fairly big bands and at the time. And, uh, yeah. That was a big call to make, man. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah he, wasn't, he wasn't impressed. Um, and we, we just basically put up all the soundboards and recorded the whole thing live in, in, I think, a day and a half. And it was way messier, of course. Yeah. Um, but we, we preferred it. We were like, this, this is who we are at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of chaos. And it was chaotic, but I love listening to it now. And, and I obviously there's glaring mistakes and like really obvious stuff that could be better. Um, but for a first album, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. That, that for me, um, epitomized who, you know, where we were and still kind of does a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm just, sure fans of the band will love hearing that, you know, that like you have a combination of a, of a few of your albums in with the new stuff. Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, and it was it was very much simplifying the drums, you know, just as little of look, you know, I'm the drummer, mm. you know, it was just trying to keep keep it powerful, keep it on track, um, and just that that sort of that energy into it. Um, and obviously with Carl and Johnny, I mean, you know, there's there's a good lineage of drummers there, um, so it wasn't about trying to copy what they've done. Um, 
and 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 just kind of bring bring as much of myself back into that again as possible i think i mean people will 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 make their own mind up but uh, you know listen to it now i i can see similarities with the deer uh drumming wise anyway um yeah. okay so we'll so listen I think, to I think, uh, uh, rising of the lights they're the first the opening track actually yeah that's right yeah yeah cool okay And that's class. What a great opening track as well, Joe. What do you think of that? Yeah, very, very good. Like it's definitely, definitely sounded very different from Pessimist, you know. Um, and like what you're saying is correct. There's definitely a lot of the death metal in there. Whereas I think maybe I don't know if you're as big a grind guy as the other guys are, but certainly the previous two albums were a bit more grindy. And the, but it, I think it's the next song definitely has a lot of that kind of punky feel about it as well, yeah. which is great. So I think it has the best. Uh, best of the both worlds really in it you know yeah i think uh the 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 direction the guys wanted to go in was was a bit bit more back towards the death metal i mean bill's writing bill's uh you know in the background and then for a lot and then he'd, he'd come through a load of riffs and obviously steve and he and irena were, were 
playing rehearsing a lot more together than than I could get over for. And I think early on the direction was was you know this is headed in a bit more death metal anyway. So uh, initially, as I say, as I was kind of coming back, um, I was putting a lot of just straightforward blast stuff to to everything, and it was just killing a lot of the riffs. Mm. Um, like you can hear that first riff, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of groove to it, and a lot of the faster blasts were just kind of wiping that out. So over the two years, we start, you know, things started to change and put a lot more kind of mid-paced. Um, that song, uh, yeah, I, we we had a little bit of debate about, well, you know, obviously which, the track order is always going to be an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as to do we just have a short, grindy track to start or just having something that's a bit different. And at the, the second half of that track, because I, I did a lot of messing around in garage band with there's there's no keyboards on this album, but we did use a lot of delay and, and sort of reverb on some of the guitar parts, which make it sound like there's a, there's almost like a chorusy bit. Um, but it's all it's all just guitar, uh, as I say. There's no keyboards, so there's definitely a sort of a more atmospheric um, element to it. And we thought just with the title of it and with a lot of the stuff that Steve was coming up with vocally, it suited it a bit more um, to be a you know a little bit more atmospheric than just straightforward kind of, you know, punching the throat grindcore. So, um, yeah, there's a real mix on it. Definitely. Yeah. And what made Abaddon go with uh, Chris Fielding? Uh, me. Good choice. <laughs> Good choice. Um, I had recorded with him. I've recorded with him a couple of times uh, with the other band and uh, he's just, his patience, you know, he is so patient and he just kind of, just seems to get things. I mean, as as you guys probably know, he's um, uh, and it wasn't even that because when when I recorded with him first, I, I mean, I knew he'd done Primordial and and but it wasn't actually for that. It was it was um, his work on Discarnate, yeah. his first album, yeah, they're very good, um, and second album. Sorry, and, uh, that that's what kind of drew to him first, really, and then just talking with him, um. You know he's just he's brilliant. I haven't from a, from my perspective, from a drumming point of view, he's just the right mix of of being pushy without like you know really winding it you is, up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, and thankfully you know the the guys seem to really get on with them, and he got the best out of them, and so on. So just yeah. How long did it take you to lay down the tracks, Solon? Uh, day and a half, I think. Oh. Yeah, um, that's some some stamina there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I was quite surprised because we weren't massively rehearsed. We had uh, three or four. Well, I was over for a week before the studio, and then I think I had three days in total. And then we were mixed up because Bill had issues with with his kids and Irene was working. So I think we only had two full band rehearsals. Yeah, before the studio. Um, but then I've got the electric kit at home here, so you know I was able to. I'm right thinking there was a little while after Pessimist where it was just the two guitar players, like where there was only a couple of people in the band. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Between when Carl, uh, when Carl, again, you'd need Steve for the timeline for this, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, it was Steve and Bill really have, have, have been the, the, the mainstay all the time, haven't they? Yeah. They're sort of Get things going so yeah i think that there probably was uh, a bit of time between and did you grow up with those guys then because i know you were you were like bereaved is that is that late 80s or when when did you guys start playing in bereaved yeah so when i started uh in 1990 so 
uh, they were they were already going as bereaved when I joined them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we fairly quickly changed the name to Abaddon and did the the first demo. Then, but yeah, that was that was back in 1990. So no, I, I didn't know them. I I was relatively late to the to the party in terms of playing at all. I didn't start playing drums till I was 21. What? And was it just like um, a, a little thing in the sound cellar saying guitar player or drummer wanted or? It was uh, Paul, Paul Kearns. Um, I met him outside Central Bank one day, and uh, you know, I told him I just bought a brand new kit and was uh, bandless and he said oh I think I think the bereaved boys are looking for a drummer so um, I rang Alan Kelly do you remember Alan Kelly he, guitarist used to play with them a long time ago and um, he, he told me to, to turn up to rehearsals uh, which I did and he hadn't told Bill and Steve I was coming <laughs> so <laughs> I was sitting there behind the kit and they walked in they were like who the fuck's this <laughs> <laughs> And so we did just did a bunch of covers, Slayer and Metallica and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I was ropey as hell. I think, as far as I remember, I had just kind of clicked playing double kick about a week beforehand. It was just this mystery, you know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't working. And um, just, yeah, managed to kind of click with it. But it was it was enough at the time, considering their, their sort of playing standards as well. And and then, uh, yeah, just, just sort of went from there. But I think... Um, yeah, very quickly started to get, but I mean, death metal was really growing at the time, wasn't it? And it was easy. I was just going to say, yeah, you came in at the right good time, you know. Yeah, to to get on that bandwagon, and we were all into the same stuff. Alan was a bit more Slayer heavy, but Bill and Steve definitely like Immolation and and more with Angel Dayside, you name it. So yeah, it was. I, it I was had listened to um, had listened to the Brave demo there, the ninety one one or whatever, and I thought it sounded actually pretty good. Yeah, if you consider a lot of the other Irish demos around, then like studio wise tone wise it, they weren't really that great whereas it's not really that far off of morbid angel demo really is it you know yeah i mean i, I obviously didn't play on them but um yeah i think alan was was quite good with his techie sort of stuff at the time and i think he, he pushed them quite hard because they were still quite young you know yeah obviously still in school and that but um yeah i mean for me you know i they, they sort of handed me these two demos after that rehearsals and like, right, learn these for next week. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it was just like amazing. Considering, as you said, you know, from, I lived in Blessington and, you know, I was hanging around with like Cursed Earth and those guys. And that that's kind of what I was. Ah, okay. Um, so then to come out to get these and it was like, wow, an actual band in Dublin playing actual death metal. This is amazing. Mm. It was a nice scene back then as well. Um, a lot more bands, I suppose, mainly uh, death metal. As you said, it was just really kicking off. Um, yeah. And the trash yeah. scene, Joe, was kind of heading the other direction, was it really? Bands like Predator and yeah, stuff were kind yeah. of on the way out, really, weren't they? And et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, like I, I think that there was certainly, I don't know if you would remember, there was some northern bands. They're probably a bit later than you guys, like Putrefy and Damned oh, yeah. and stuff. Oh, we played with Putrefy quite a few times with Jason. We're good friends yeah. with him for a while. And um, Afterlife, obviously. Morphosis and all yeah. those boys were still were still going, but they were yeah more way more established than than we were at the time. Um, but yeah, the scene was scene was was really good then. I mean, I remember you know going into the rock garden this before I was sort of started playing drums, and I think it was Afterlife were playing actually. And you know the way in in the rock garden they just always had too much dry ice, like dry ice. It was just filled <laughs> with smoke. and I just I, I can't hell think, yeah. It was just this wall of sound, you know. 
the drums. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't even see the drummer, but I was like, I want to be that guy, you know? <laughs> couldn't see anything. But, when was that all in? Roughly like? Uh, 1990-ish, 91. Yeah, because I, I remember the Rock Garden because I'd moved up from Cork to Dublin at that stage and that was one of the main places to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah we had the free Sunday afternoon tickets and all that, you know? Fucking hell, that's mental. You get yeah. a block of tickets and you're thinking, yeah, you know, could you give them away? Could you fuck? Not a chance. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there were good, just the scene was was definitely was definitely good. I mean, I think you know it's it's still all right, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. I think it's distilled now, and the bands that are still there or going or the quality is, is really high. Yeah. Um, but I think kind of the scene is so small that like you won't get a lot of bands uh, ripping each other off, you know. No, no, no. Thankfully, um, yeah. So, but you know that's. You, you compare it to, to New York or, you know, Florida or whatever, where everybody kind of, there was enough to support a scene, like a proper yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. And, and it, the spirit was there, but just the numbers mm -hmm. weren't, unfortunately. But, um, and then, of course, you don't, you don't have the premises willing to, to stick with it and support it either. And yeah, of course, that's, not, that's a major problem, yeah. Menus and, you you know. might be able to confirm or deny this. Somebody told me that the old, um, ah, where was the place out in Don Leary that used to do all the games? Top Hat. Top Hat, yeah. Was it there or where's the place Sepulture and all used to play all the time? Um, McGonagall's. McGonagall's, yeah. They didn't have a uh, license to sell beer, so they were only allowed to sell wine or something like that at the bar <laughs> at the time. Jesus. That, yeah. that could very well be true back then, but it didn't seem to make any difference because everyone was so hammered by the time they got there. Yeah, you wouldn't, exactly. you wouldn't know, would you? So but that's the good thing, though, like that if you think about back then, bands like Pestilence and stuff were able to come to Dublin and get 500 people into those sort of places. Like, you know, Absolutely, and yeah. now we're back at that again. Now we're band like Pestilence can come and play wherever the button factory or something and do well out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, um, the, uh, was it DME? Is it our DMP, the Dublin Metal? DME, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they obviously worked bloody hard to get that up and going, didn't they? Um, mm. When I left Ireland, it was kind of fledgling, but uh, yeah, I know they they were responsible, obviously, for bringing some pretty big. I would, I went to see Catholic Decapitation, whatever, whenever they came back there last time. I can't remember where they played though, but that you know, but they're bringing bands like that over. You got to give them credit, like because yeah. no one else was. I know MCD, but they would always go for the sort of the big proper yeah, guarantee, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. But Carcass or whatever. Pardon? Carcass bands like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sort of the guaranteed ticket sales, but uh, yeah, for 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 sort of an outlier country, um, it does does pretty well. I mean, God, it's better than down this neck of the woods, down in Exeter. We get we get nothing down here. Wow. To, Bristol's the nearest sort of we sort of go to see any any decent bands, but they they rarely come any further further southwest. Kind of bit of a like, it, it's how do you sort that out though? Because I'm sure even if you had a brilliant package coming to Exeter. Like people are so used to not going, or you know, the, the scenes dwindled so much that yeah, it is. It's if you look at all those old Venom posters, mm. they used to go and play like all these well, like town halls and Hanley or wherever. <laughs> people would all drive to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a. I think um, because it's it's a it's that size of town or city. You know, it's a university town, um, but not a big enough sort of like you know Bristol again, which has that massive diversity mm. exeter's you know this and the, the so the west country uh, not it's not and metal is not really a kind of a hand-in-hand -hand thing um and actually down in cornwall there's a bit bit of a crazy kind of grindcore cross scene which every so often 
stick you know rears its head <laughs> random gig down near Newquay or something and and you'll get people going to them because they're so rare but um yeah the cavern and exeter is a great little venue uh, but it's hard to fill it yeah. It's, it's hard to fill it unless you get a student night in which case half the people who are there wouldn't know anything older than sort of or you know smaller than metallica anyway um so yeah it's, it's a funny sort of scene here really and all what was your um, memories of going into the studio to record for the first time? Was it uh, Last Supper LP, was it? Um, as in album or uh, first yeah. time ever? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Last Supper, I mean, when I think of how that all got organised and what we sort of did, I, I guess every band has a similar thing with the first album. You just wouldn't do it now. You just would not mm. do it. And um getting up to to finland and and we all sort of traveled sort of separately and i remember um I, I was a day or two behind the guys and uh i had to i i got up there really late and then had to get this train to um to aulu and uh the got in there ticket office was closed and i think it's about one in the morning and this train pulled up <laughs> i might as well get on it and uh they were all sleeping compartments and so i, I stayed in sort of this um section of the carriages in between my symbols and all that and i was just sitting on them and this guy conductor comes down and starts speaking to me in finnish obviously and i'm like something and tried to explain as best i could that there was nowhere for me to buy a ticket and i was thinking he's just going to kick me off and it was just forest you know as you can imagine mm-hmm. just nothing and uh he just got exasperated and just kind of shook his head and walked off so i was glued you know trying to see every time he came to the place like is this out no is this out and eventually he saw this oh fuck jumped off no idea where the hotel was and of course mobile phones weren't sort of thing then and mm-hmm. wandered around at about four in the morning and eventually found what i thought was this hotel came in and so I'm like, you know, things just work out, don't they, sometimes? And yeah. walked into the room and the guys were all there asleep. I was like, no, oh, awesome. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> and um, yeah, it smelled of broccoli. They had a couple of like weird <laughs> chemical processing plants there and, and the whole the whole place smelled of broccoli. So yeah, it consisted of three weeks of us eating these weird sort of soggy burgers in this little cafe restaurant place and, and, um, and in and out to the studio and one bar that had any sort of rock jukebox at all, mainly ZZ Top and playing pool and uh, not really having much of a clue what we were doing, but... Um, what but, record uh, label were you with then? Uh, that was Season of Mist. Okay, Season okay, yeah. Yeah, Season of Mist. So, um, yeah, that, that was on the, when, on the back of When the Demons Come demo, mm. but it sounded nothing like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. think he was that happy with it. Um, as I said, it was it was a very random sort of make it up as we go along recording. Um, but yeah, nostalgia is great, isn't it? And mm. you look back on it now, and it's kind of as I say, every so often I'll stick it on when I'm when I'm drunk and and just love it because it's just so messed up and Bill's solos are all like so out of place, but just seem to work. You know, the <laughs> harmonies that shouldn't be harmonies and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I don't know. The drums are all out of time and everything. But hey, just, just you know. It, Can you it, remember um, what were the ambitions of the band then, Olam? Was it just to get across to the UK and tour, or were we looking further afield? Uh, like, how old were you then? Like you were early twenties, obviously. I'd say. Right? I was yeah. So I would have been um, about twenty-one or twenty-two, maybe. Mm. I think. 
the guy's uh, 18 or 19, I think, something, whatever. Jesus, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little older. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, because you were from, from sort of Dublin and, and it was so hard to get bands to do any sort of serious gigs with or bigger bands, I don't think you thought beyond the immediate a little bit. It was just, you were so in it. It was just what what you were doing. It wasn't even right here we come, you know, world domination <laughs> type sort of thing. You just, I don't think we thought beyond it. It wasn't until I think Nadir started coming around and we started taking things a bit more seriously that we thought maybe, you know, you'd like to do, do more. But then uh, it was difficult for me, I think, because, as I said, I was that bit older um, and I was sort of thinking, Christ, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to you know, stay in Ireland? And so, yeah, my ambitions were kind of going a little bit sort of elsewhere and, and, and stresses were starting, you know, as you get older and jobs and what have you. Yeah. So that, that took its, its toll, I think. And I was, I was in a different place. I was a bit more sort of, um, I guess, intense about it. And if I wasn't seeing results, then I, I was getting quite, quite frustrated. And so, yeah, I think, I, I think it was inevitable that, that things kind of went the way they went. And that we went sort of separate ways for a while. Um, obviously, Corey had left as well, and then he came back after I left. And so, yeah, I I needed to get out of Ireland anyway for lots of reasons. Not nothing illegal, but just family-wise and all sorts of stuff. I needed to to get out for a while. External um, pressures, in other words. Yeah, just just life, isn't it? Mm. Um, so coming off story, Joe, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know. I think it's after a little while, unless you you have some sort of insane management or some sort of huge push behind you, you have to reconcile with the idea that there's not going to be like a pot of gold. And so the the more that you kind of ignore all the other stuff that's going on in your life, you know, it's kind of to your detriment, you know. So yeah. I think it, it happens a lot of bands, you know, once you've had like five or six years of all running around as a, a gang having the crack, everyone has to take a bit of stock and say, right, I need to look after you know, the rest of my life for a little while here, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's very difficult, isn't it? To, to have that frank discussion and because it's, it's admitting that you've, you've given up on a certain. Yep. Yeah. Or you don't have faith in the team anymore, you know, and for, like, I think it's a great testimony to you and the lads friendship, you know, that obviously you were one of the people that they could immediately say here, what about, what about stepping in? And then you've got on so well that here you are back again, you know? Mm. I know it, it is, it is bizarre. <laughs> Because uh, it's something I didn't think, you know, if you said to me back when I came over here first. Um, but then, you know, if you tried to force it, it wouldn't have happened. It just, mm. you know, it just kind of fell into place. And yeah, same as, as yourself, it's, it's not easy. Um, and you got to either accept that that's just the way things are now, but that there are compensations in terms of being able to do things remotely, which we wouldn't have been able to do back, back then, yep. which keeps things ticking over. And obviously with with zoom and everything else you can have band meetings like this and even you know it makes a massive difference doesn't it just having that sort of face to face and um and yes we, we're still sort of planning for stuff but who knows uh i'm hoping to play um uh some shows in april uh the siege of limerick being one of them Class. but um yeah who knows it's like you, yeah. it's, you don't want to get too excited about it because well would you say the out. band has, has have been hindered as well with record label issues? Uh, again, Steve would be a better one to answer answer that. I mean, with transcending, uh, 
obviously we haven't released anything with him yet but he's been he's been really good in terms of everything he's sort of promising um and judging by what he's his release schedule and the standard of stuff he's releasing at the moment you know we, we've got no real issues there um but yeah i think candlelight uh didn't quite work out for them the way they they wanted it at the time but yeah unfortunately steve would be a better person to ask mm. about the, the intricacies of that um but i don't think it's ever straightforward with the label is it i mean uh, he, he suffered that way too joe didn't she <clears throat> ah yeah but sure yeah. You know, I suppose you, you just have to take the rough with the bad. Like, and you know, it's not as if either of our bands were ever in a situation where you were like talking about major label deals and huge advances and stuff. So, like, a lot of the times, especially with labels like Candlelight and stuff, it's just very much what you can get out of them, you know. And if they say they're not going to give you tour support or do videos, you know, and again, back then, like, it's going back to what you were saying, Olin, like, Back then, doing that sort of stuff was an enormous undertaking. Whereas now, because of the way technology's moved, you can do a lot of that stuff yourselves. Like you know, you could do an amazing video from your rehearsal room that would be out of like out of the total budget twenty years ago. There's no way that it would have been possible. You know. Mm. Yeah, and the thing is, what you know, the band that I was playing with over here, they just released a new video, and Jesus, I don't know how much it cost them, but it's proper like green screen, you know, special effects um the, yeah thousands and thousands um and you know they'd be lucky to get sort of 20 likes on facebook with it mm-hmm. um and so yeah i get it's fun to do for sure but it it's a bit of a, an ego trip more than anything else mm-hmm. and even big bands you know will have to justify doing videos like that nowadays yeah so exactly as you said you can you can do just as much of a a video and get just as many whatever hits as you want just doing it on your phone and the thing is like if you're if your fan base is getting older right there's a lot of people who have been listening to the you know abaddon since the 90s or since the early 2000s and stuff the the older they get they're probably the same as yourself and they don't really have the same amount of time to sit about on youtube as (laughs) they did you know 10 years ago like if (laughs) The older your fan base gets, you have to try and get to them whatever way that they're going to do it as a middle-aged person nowadays instead of a 20-year-old, you know? Yeah, no. That's true, good merch. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It. It's You do grow up with your with your fan base, for sure. Um, and and for me, as I say, coming back to it, it's, it's interesting to see the people who are still around. Um, and it, it's, uh, you know, when I came over here first and, and I'd stopped playing, and you will then realize how much a part of your identity it it when you grow up with it, how much a part of an identity it is for you, not just necessarily being a part of a band, but saying you know that you're a guitarist or vocalist or drummer or whatever it may be, and that's really hard to turn your back on one hundred percent. So you know, I think I think at this stage, you sort of accept that it's not going to go away. You know, <laughs> uh, not not without therapy anyway. Other people who were at the Dublin gigs back in. 1990 who are still arriving now bald with yeah. wee tufts of hair on the sides no <laughs> yeah no i still still have a bit i'm all right still <laughs> just not to cover up bald head <laughs> but yeah i know what you mean it's uh it is it is funny but yeah like i say they're still there mm. like the band have a fucking seriously big tour base i mean they've, they've toured no more than yourselves joe south america and um Australia, Russia as well. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I obviously didn't do other than this, the first Australian trip. Um, you know, I haven't done done the rest with them. So South America, I think, was was a bit crazy. But uh, um, yeah, that's admire them for getting out there. I mean, Jesus Christ, you can count on two hands probably the amount of hands that have played out there <laughs> on one hand even in the Irish scene. Yeah, well, as you guys are saying, if you want to rely on a label to get that sorted for you it's not going to happen is it so um yeah i absolutely i've got nothing but respect for the guys um for keeping it going and 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 as you say pushing it um continually because uh i was always surprised uh and i guess i am a bit with a lot of the bands in in, in ireland now that they aren't bigger than they are um it's, it's frustrating put it that way yeah. and 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 i'm not just adding you know yourselves and, and all the other but because as i say I do, I do pay attention to it i do listen and the standard was always pretty good but i think it's really high now yeah. um and if you had bands of a similar kind over here and um, you know you they'd, they'd be a lot bigger you would be a lot bigger over here we would be well maybe not maybe not the, the sort of the heavier stuff i think the the scene in, in the uk uh isn't as big for for extreme metal uh compared to you know per capita as it is in, in dublin or is in ireland definitely not as in europe but um yeah it is it is frustrating to see bands from dublin from ireland uh all over struggling to get that kind of you know social media footfall if you like for for how good they are because you stick them on beside any other band you know it, 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 from europe or the uk and they're equally as good if not if yeah. not better in some cases you're, you're spot on. That's the reason why I do this show, man. It's just send the fucking flare up into the sky saying, hey, look, look at our scene. We're as good as anything in Europe, you know. Um, Occasionally it'll it'll break through. And I mean, Terrorizer had an article a couple of years back or maybe more now because it's obviously gone. They had a coverage of the Irish scene, didn't they? And they covered whatever. I don't know. It was eight bands or something. Um, but uh, but then the problem all as well is that the Irish media in general have no time for heavy metal and they never had. No, even back even back when you were going, they never had. They had no interest. Yeah. In it. What was his name that used to do that the Sunday evening show? Oh, God, I can't remember. His name. John Kelly, is it? John Kelly. Might have been, yeah. Can't remember, but yeah, you know, just getting your demo on that. Was Kelly, of course, it was only you and your family you'd ever listen to it, but. <laughs> It's still the same though. Like ten years ago, or maybe a bit more, our singer Philly used to work for the Star or one of one of the Dublin papers anyway, and they were offered an interview with Metallica, mm. with Lars or whatever. And the like the uh, paper were not fussed on the idea. They were like, "Yeah, I know, I don't know, is it worth our time really going and doing that?" Like you know, which is yeah. nuts. Like just goes to show, like, and especially considered a, there are some countries like um, you know Finland and some of the Nordic states where. The, Artists get so much support, you know. I think Turbo yeah. Negro got a tour bus from the government. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine that in the South? Imagine. Yeah. Just be Jeez. mad. Like, it, it is. I, I think it, it's part of its charm, isn't it, in a way? I mean, you talk to people over here and, and tell them that the figures that will attend Hellfest or, you know, any of the big festivals in Europe, um, they'll just, they won't believe you, you know. You show them videos and they're just like, this happens every year. You're like, yeah. <laughs> every year i mean it's it's always been that way with metal and in some ways it's that kind of bittersweet isn't it you kind of like the fact that people don't really know but yeah you lament the fact that you're not sort of front page news all the time mm. but did you um, guys um did you guys start off like kind of acknowledging and knowing that you were going to have to get the ferry from holly over to hollyhead and like do it the way that every irish band has ever kind of done it 
or were you kind of like oh, i don't know if we we want to start having to do that going and getting the boat over or you know rough traveling around what for tours yeah starting off you know whenever you first leave ireland to go and do that I'm trying to think uh you know i think when you're when you're so caught up in it it's it's not it's not like now where you sort of think oh jesus you know the logistics of this are going to be a nightmare you just kind of you decide well this is what has to happen and, and kind of uh so like that check tour that we did with desecration um you know we did some dates and over here and it was just if you sit down now and say right break it down and say this is the amount of hours you're going to spend in that bus <laughs> you draw up your sort of you know cost benefit analysis of what you're actually doing no one in their right mind to do it yeah you know so i i think uh it it was just not uh oh god what about fairies it was just like how how do we get to do this yep. so um yeah, I mean that that check tour was was insane. Uh, the you know and the, the Australian one was just as crazy. I mean, I think we did nearly ten thousand miles in in sort of nine days because um, obviously you can cover that kind of ground very quickly in Australia, and similar to everywhere else, you're playing playing to twenty people, um, but you know you still you still do it. So um, nowadays, yeah, it's a bit different because things are so expensive now. Um, and you just i don't know i mean what how about yourselves do you do you think like well if we're not going to at least cover a cost we're not going to do it or do you not care now um you know what like it's i think the older you get the more kind of gets like golf you know it's like you and your mates weekend away on the drink you know yeah, yeah. so like i suppose like it's great obviously we tend to only try and only do it if all costs are covered and stuff but Going back to the old ferry days, it was walking over to everyone in the band had to come up with the 40 quid to get the sail rail to London to play yeah. in Camden or whatever, and you would just keep going back and do it. Yeah. And I think that was just because we were very, like, having played gigs in Dublin and Belfast, it was a bit of a, it's not really going to ever get any uh, better than this, you know? So, like, you're better off going and playing in front of absolutely nobody. And we used to do the old classic thing of arriving just with no gear and then mm -hmm. hope that the other bands in the bill would be sound enough because you'd come from Ireland to let yeah. them use your heads, you know. Yeah. Well, they weren't. I think I left before before things really got to that point. Um, I mean, I played with um, Blast Cage for a year over in Nottingham, who became Earth Tone Nine. Um, so I'd, I'd gone over for for a year to the UK just after I've, I've left uni. So I just wanted a bit of a headspace thing, and so that was my sort of first taste of playing bigger venues, LA Two and stuff like that. And, and getting a sense of what what could be achieved with a band that wasn't necessarily huge, you know. So I think when I came back to Dublin and then joined, and and that's when sort of the deer started happening. That's when we kind of started thinking a bit a bit bigger. Um, but then again, obviously, as I say, things went went south before. So really, again, Steve would be a, a better person to to talk about that evolution of of the band when they started traveling yeah. to the UK more and stuff like that. Mm. Because as I well, said, like, like, what's your what was your own Personal favorite gig with a band? Oh God! Uh, I mean, the obvious one would be the, the Morbid Angel support, I suppose. Um, and that's not just name dropping, but we were such big Morbid Angel fans at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, just to be sort of hanging out and chatting with them, even though we only played for like ten minutes or something. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Jesus. I, I think we had fifteen minutes. I think we had um, because their their sound check went on and on and on and on, as you can imagine. So. Um, yeah, we didn't have, have much time, but it was still 
it was still amazing to sort of be in the same room as those guys. Um, but other than that, uh, I don't know. This your, just... your worst one? How about your worst one? Is that is that an easier question? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, do, <laughs> I remember one in Fibbers. It was it wasn't a particularly awful gig, but it, it stuck out in my mind. I always had, I guess, most musicians, particularly drummers, uh, would have a fear of, of of forgetting a song. Okay. And uh, it was a, it was during the summer. It was a beautiful day, and it was an all one of the all day shows that Fibbers used to have, and. Uh, we got up and I don't think we were too pissed, but anyway, people started shouting for, for I Hate off the first album. And we hadn't rehearsed that song in I don't know how long. We just hadn't played it. So Steve was just like, yeah, let's play it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we started playing and we come out of the section. And I was like, well, it's either going to be Blast Beat or Double Kick. So I just went for Blast Beat. And the guys were kind of like, <laughs> so we sort of you know did a bit of a fill and finished about two thirds of the way through the song and everyone was like hey! it's like <laughs> where we were either so just, well, I remember absolutely hating that because you know that it was more about the feeling knowing that it was coming up and you did not know what was coming next mm. um, but as a whole we were we were generally quite good at, at being able to kind of um, I, I guess that most bands who play together for any decent length of time you get good at at sort of anticipating mistakes and covering and without making it look too obvious. But I think that that was my sort of worst fuck up with it. But um, I, yeah, you know, we didn't really ever have awful gigs. Um, we had, uh, yeah, I can't think of much anything. of a, much of an archivist man. Like as in, do you keep all the like first demo sort of posters from the eighties or nineties? I did have a lot of them uh, back at home, but my parents got rid of a load of shit when I moved yeah. out. And yeah, unfortunately, a lot of that. But I did, uh, last time I was back, they pulled out by some miracle a shitload of old t-shirts that we had done. One from back in the bereaved days as well. No um, wow. Which, yeah, still have upstairs now. So yeah. Like, did a, the band think about that? Like as in, would you like to do like old demos or like old live shows and try and put them oh, out there for the fans um, and stuff? Or? Actually, do you, have you seen that that uh, box set oh, thing? Have I did, yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. With the syringe and all and the blood, kind of blood pack. <clears throat> yeah. So that, that I think, was brilliant. And obviously that yeah. wasn't our brainchild, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that is amazing, though. And the fact that, that you know, fans, for want of a better word, uh, are willing to go and put their hand in their pocket to do stuff like that is amazing, you know. Mm. Um, but like with trans Transcending, they did a super job. I don't know, are you aware of uh, Suits there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Cork. Yeah, they did an amazing job on their merch and they had a coffin. Yeah. Oh, yes. Release with the CD. So a label like that definitely um, will go the extra yard for you if, if you're... Yeah, I uh, think so. He's, I, I don't know how he does it. Yeah. You know... The, who else was... There's, they, they have a lot of bands, man. Trans, transcending. 35 tracks on this label sampler. That yeah, released. there you go. Um, and then, you know, some of them are a crossover from last year, but yeah, it's a huge amount of bands. And I mean, obviously no one's going to like every one of them, but I mean, I, I listened to it the other day when it came out and there isn't a bad, bad track on it. I mean, it's not that I, I love them all, but yeah. you know, it's not like, oh, that's a bit ropey. They're all yeah. like really good quality. Um, but how, how he's bankrolling it, I don't know, because every release gets the same sort of quality of, yeah. 
of you know production and it's an all vinyl as well yeah. it's amazing really um and what is, have he kind of planned in relation to we'll say this release um will there be a physical copy for the fans can you can you go that far into uh yeah so um as far as we know um he tends to go for vinyl production first so he knows he's got that secured uh, but at the moment there's huge delays with, yeah. with everything that's going on so until he gets that confirmed because the cds aren't the issue um we don't know numbers wise yet but yeah cds vinyl the same sort of package he seems to do for most new releases including merch excellent stuff um, it's great to hear but we, do, we don't have a date for it yet mm. um but I, I, he's he has all the all the inlay information and all that sort of stuff now so i guess you know within the we next do uh a the title of the album a reveal there uh the wretched sermon okay cool nice one i'm glad you said it not me <laughs> it came from all in first not me <laughs> It's all right. We've, uh, I think we've mentioned it on a few, few things in the. Okay, cool. Anyway. What's the? Is there a story behind the title, or does does it correspond with the artwork? Uh, yes. You could have fun with that artwork, man. With that title, anyway. Have you seen the artwork? No, 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 no. No, because um, we, we we haven't seen the full artwork ourselves yet. We um. Mm. Uh, it yeah, it, it kind of went hand in hand. I think um. And it, it, we didn't necessarily want it to be a song title or anything like that, just more as we're talking about sort of the atmosphere of it. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it does kind of fit in with, um, I think it was kind of a fairly, you know, a lot of people say a kind of an organic process. It wasn't a, let's just come up with a, a title and work from there. Steve's kind of lyrics and ideas uh, are always very formative in terms of, of where that sort of stuff comes from um and yeah it it just kind of fit um and you don't like to explain these things away too no. much but you know you like people to come up with their own yeah. sort of uh interpretations of these things but yes it, it definitely was was kind of spurred on by the artwork a little bit um mm. as long as it goes the way we think it's gonna go because uh kunal's gonna come up with his his uh his version of it so yeah Cool. So we're going to listen to track seven of the album. It's uh, called Killing Spree.
Lovely touch there at the end, man. The drumming in that is outstanding, man. Congrats. Very Lombardo-esque nearly, isn't it? Sorry? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's... um. And yeah, the fix in that as well, man. They're fucking great. The the little piano bit at the end, there's a little story behind that. If you, it's not yeah. a lot. If you want to hear it? But um, I've uh, a friend over here who I do a lot of climbing with, and his um, his wife had a had a serious ski accident where there's another guy came down, hit her in the side of the head. She wasn't wearing a helmet. He was, and she ended up with quite a serious brain injury. And uh, she essentially lost the use of one of her hands for quite a long time until she kind of got it back. But she used to play piano quite a bit. Um, and I was sitting working on the on the demo for Killing Spree. And um, Nick sent me through this little bit of piano on WhatsApp. Said, oh, Philip managed to play this today. Oh, and I, I think it's Bach, actually, a little piece of Bach. But anyway, um, so as I was recording it, I thought, you know, I'm just going to stick that at the end of the song and see what it sounds like. And stuck a load of reverb and all that sort of stuff on. I sent it to the guys, and they were like, "That's awesome! Where'd you get that from?" <laughs> so I told them, and they were like, "Right, we're using that." And it uh, so it, that that bit of piano is the WhatsApp recording that Nick sent me <laughs> that I messed around with on on GarageBand. So it's the actual recording of it. He isn't. Um, That's class, man. It's a nice touch. Fair play. Yeah, it's it just <laughs> just really fit. So so I sent it back to her, and I mean, they're not metal fans. <laughs> at all like nothing to do with it you know the climbers mountaineers this sort of stuff and i sent them said philippa you know as long as you're okay with it you're you're now featuring on a track called killing spree <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant brilliant yeah. so have you um any idea of when this is going to be out Owen? um uh, honestly no no definite date as i say he has everything now that he needs to, to okay. cd so um the last time steve kind of is the one who's dealing with canal uh it be such oh, insane oh. delays man see yeah he spoke to the guy from prosthetic and he said that that it, it wasn't necessarily the record companies that said that it was the the wax that the vinyls made out of said that were you know were the making it yeah that bands who could be waiting six months you know, as in you wow. could be just waiting for six months for it. And as you said, it's just impossible to do a, a CD and online release and then expect to do good record sales. You really have to do yeah. vinyls first, you know. I mean, we'd, we'd love to have some, you know, physical merch for, for the Siege and things like that. So we, we did say that to him. So if he if he does kind of, uh, obviously he can, he can get the CDs done a lot easier. So we'd hope that maybe April, but we don't have a definite date yet. I was to throw three European countries at you for a tour. Give me three. You can exclude the UK and Ireland. For yeah, time. okay. Um, I'd love to go back to Germany. Hmm. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's easy to pick the Scandinavian ones, isn't it? But um, yeah, I'd love to go back to Germany. I'd love to go back to Czech Republic again. That was that was crazy. Um, and maybe somewhere a bit warmer. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Spain. Malta. Spain would be nice Malta. To go. There's, a, there's a fucking great scene in Malta. Shout out to Jim Tobin. Yeah, uh, we've played not with the band, but I've played in Malta, and that that was quite an interesting trip as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, Malta would be nice to go to. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I'd love to go back to Germany. Germany was was brilliant. The guys everywhere that we went to with just treated you really well. You know, it was just a really good trip. Yeah, they loved their metal in Germany. Myself and Joe and a few more were supposed to go over for a trash festival there. It was uh, knocked on the head there. I think it was around the 20th, Joe, was it, or something like that? Yeah, it was indeed. <laughs> it was at Sodom and, uh, Sodom and Legion of the Damned and a couple other bands. Tankard. 
I think. Well. Pancakes, cheese. <laughs> there you go, man. Great band. And like, um, it's a bit nostalgic, I know, but, you know, just leave us on a bit of an old funny story there. What was the craziest shit you saw at gigs? Uh, you know, probably in um, Slattery's, I think, still. Slattery's? And I think- Jesus, there's a fucking memory. I know, and uh, well, you did mention nostalgia, so uh, I think um, I think we have a video, uh, not of this particular incident, but I think we have a video of of the gig somewhere, and um, this guy was just, you know, from the second we got in there, he was absolutely hammered, and uh, halfway through, I think it was um, Chapel of Ghouls, who used to cover, and he just gets up on stage and just starts stabbing himself with a glass in his arms, you know. Jesus like he was just like <laughs> and Steve, I just remember Steve kind of looking at him and still trying to do the vocals and pretend nothing's happening. And but you know, you sort of you think, yeah, this is awesome. I mean, of course it's not. It's insane. <laughs> but like <laughs> that, that's up there. Fucking hell in slattery's like. And I think it's more because of where it was, you know. Yeah. If you're where you know, at one of the bigger festivals, or you see crazy shit. But um, yeah, that that always stuck in my mind just because of where it was. It was just, <laughs> we're like, Christ, we're causing this poor bastard to do this here. You know, what's going to happen if we actually get anywhere with this? You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that was quite funny. But nice. uh, other than that, fairly fairly tame and normal, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure the guys could fit in with some weirder stuff from South America, but. Yeah, I didn't get to experience that. Okay, man. Listen, I'm going to leave you go, Olin from Abad, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Best of luck with the yeah. wretched sermon. We're all eagerly awaiting that. And yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, just keep an eye on your social media so you'll keep us up to date. Anyway, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, thank you very much, guys. Nice to talk to you both. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Joe, as Wait. always. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Richie. Take okay. care. And crucially, support your local medicine.